Are you living paycheck to paycheck? A new report says more and more Canadians are having to live paycheck to paycheck. And when it comes to saving money on food, the food professor says points and loyalty cards are leading the way on ways to save money. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was caught on camera singing Bohemian Rhapsody and it's making international headlines. So the question is, should it be? The Winnipeg International Writers Festival kicked off today. We checked in with the festival's director to find out what's up for the next month. And when plans disintegrate right in front of your face and you have little to no time to deal with it, what do you do? Do you panic? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, September 20th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. And uh, I closed the show yesterday. We closed the show yesterday by wondering, would we be able to hear it from Portage in Maine? So I went downstairs. It didn't quite sound like this, but I could hear it. Right at 10 o'clock, the 21-gun salute at the Manitoba Legislative Building on the South Grounds, and I could hear it. I got downstairs for, I think, 9.59, and I just stood there, and my phone turned to 10, and a couple of seconds later, I heard this boom off in the distance. I didn't think it, that sound would carry this far, Mackling. It echoes in the canyon of downtown Winnipeg, all the, the high-rises and the echoing and everything going on. That's a lot of guns, and that's a lot of gunshots, McNabb. I kept thinking, how long was that going to take yesterday for that to come and go? So that I bet you that lasted, well, is it, is it 30 seconds between shots? How often are they going off? Uh, well, in this, they're going off every few seconds. I guess oh. this was edited um, because, yeah, I think it was like you'd hear one and then at least 10 seconds you'd hear another one. Because um, they did the 21 gun salute and then they did the 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 royal gun salute, mm-hmm. the 96 rounds for one for each year. So I would imagine that went on for I don't know ever. That's a long time. <laughs> I mean, still that, going. You know, there's a the, uh, there was lots of tributes throughout around the world yesterday. That gunshot though, it's basically what I feel like every day when my alarm goes off. Is that's <laughs> how my heart like pounds. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there it is. The funny thing on that as well, and this happened to me last week. I went to bed or actually went to bed at a decent time for once on last Monday. And then same thing last night. And on both days, I wanted to get out of bed even less. It was like, ah, I'm so comfy. I actually got a good sleep. I don't want to stop. I don't want it to stop. So I ended up getting up later today than I normally do. What's that tipping point? Because that happened to me on Friday night. I went to bed relatively early for any night of the week, let alone a Friday night. And I woke up and had the blinds down. I rolled over. I said to Jackie, I said, what time is it? It's 10 to 10. Like p.m.? A.m. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Stayed in bed till late, late on Saturday morning. And boy, that that was nice. But I didn't want to get out of bed. I hadn't been in bed and slept that long in weeks. And then for whatever reason, like you say, Brett, it made me less excited about getting up. I should have been well rested. Should have That's sprung, the problem. Sprung into action. There's a line because you st- you stay in too long. You just feel like you wasted th- your day, or you feel like you're like it's just never enough. Like I'm almost you know when you nap or you sleep. And you wake up and you're just angrier because you want more sleep. So you might as well just get up and start the day. Like that's that. There's always a line for me where I'm I'm regretting that I just didn't forge ahead with the day when my first eye opened. You know? Yeah, yeah. With that naps too. There's a. I I find if I can get like the quick little ten yeah. minute nap, Cat that's nap. good. And if but if it's anything beyond, I want to say forty five minutes is kind of a danger zone for me. Like anything between. Uh, forty-five minutes and two, two and a half hours. That's I wake up feeling like a, like I, I belong in a casket. Yeah, and you feel. I feel like if I go too long on the nap, I'm just. I am mad. Like it's not enough. <laughs> now it's not enough, and I'm still tired. And I want my mom. Like that's how I feel basically <laughs> after a bad nap. I want my mom. Yeah, you know, like your mom. 
You just want your, you want someone to make it all make you feel better. Rub your head or whatever it is. Little tricks they have. Maybe some soup. I don't know. But a bad you... nap is when I'm not. I'm. It's, it's even worse. You think you'd wake up, emerge. I'm like a two year old in that moment. You know, where you just wake up crabby. <laughs> That's when you call Moose for a cuddle. Come here, Moosey. Just come give me a little bit of a cuddle, and then that changes everything. No. Okay. Maybe a smile cookie will make you feel better, Loren. It would. It might help. Yeah. The Smile Cookie uh, campaign began yesterday, and at 9.05, Mr. Mackling, we are going to learn more about it. And have we been tasked with trying to decorate some of these things? Well, of course we have, Brett McGarry. The rest of the media did it yesterday, and then uh, we have some Smile Cookies coming at some point this morning. And so we will be tasked with trying to do something creative uh, from two not very creative guys. (laughs) So, But I think you have a pretty good plan. We'll keep it under wraps for now. But, uh, yeah, if we get as many cookies as I'm hoping we're going to get, yep. I think it could turn out pretty pretty well. Just yeah. go with your constant theme when you decorate you two of smashing. Wasn't it pumpkins <laughs> last year? You smash, smash yeah. cookies. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that could work too. Or if we just crumble them all into a giant ball and just put a big smile. So it's like a smile cookie ball. Yeah. It, it would probably be some sort of fancy thing you don't even know about that exists in bakeries where it's like... <laughs> The unwrapped cookie or the natural or I don't know, something. I feel that would ultimately waste the cookie, and I'm not into wasting any cookies yeah. whatsoever. That's fair. That's fair. We'll try to, Pumpkins, we'll try to get it right. no problem. Cookies, mm, you're crossing a line. Yeah, the and see, that's the problem. You mentioned we're not creative. Whenever they do these media challenges, some of the teams are so creative and so decorative and have skills and talents that we just cannot match. That's why we decided to just start smashing the thing because yeah. it seemed more upper alley. And I, I, I'm just mentioning this now because... Because it was a listener who pointed this out. I seem to remember, Loren, someone saying that there's like some sort of a pumpkin yes, catapult near that's Steinbach. in Steinbach. We got that feed last year. We'll have to check it, look into that and see where that takes us. Yeah. I want to see it. Where it takes us <laughs> and the pumpkin. Um, also today, we're so that's at 9.05. We're going to learn more about the Smile Cookies. At 9.35, the Winnipeg International Writers Festival kicks off. Breakfast with the Bombers at 7.35. And then at 7.05, Loren, more Canadians uh, are living check to check. Yeah, and I know that's been a growing issue for years now in this country, but of course the pandemic um, eased things up somewhat for some Canadians and made things worse for a lot of others. And with inflation in the past year, it's, times are really tight. So we've got some new numbers out from the National Payroll Institute on what they're seeing on how many of us are living paycheck to paycheck. And it's not just that. It sounds like a lot of us are saving a whole lot less or maybe not saving at all. You might be laughing right now saying, what's saving uh, because you're just making ends meet, but the debt's rising. So uh, we know it's bad out there for many, but the numbers are just further proof that whew, we got to take a, maybe a cold, hard look at our finances sometimes, Greg. Yes, and that on its own, I think, is a conversation many of us are reluctant to have, but we're getting closer to that point, I think, for a lot of folks where, you know, the pennies, the nickels, the dimes, the quarters aren't taking care, care of themselves and every single time, you mentioned this the other day, Loren, we were on the phone talking about grocery shopping, and my kids are eating me out of house and home quite literally. <laughs> I mean, we're, we don't have a for sale sign up quite yet, but it may come to that point based on the amount of food we go through and the amount of food my kids eat, Brett. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb in our next segment. We're going to tell you how you can win yourself some tickets to see Michael Buble coming to Canada Life Centre on October 7th. And it has to do with a panic situation that I ended up encountering Saturday morning before I had to go to work. And uh, as it turns out, <laughs> Cameron Poitras just happened to fall into this story as he poked his head into the control room, he's been working from home. But he is here today. He is? He is in the building. And oh. it, and then 4J even said, well, that just worked out perfectly for our, our next segment. So we'll tell you what that okay. means coming up in just under 10 minutes' time. And then a reminder that after 7 o'clock, Loren, we're talking about uh, more, yet more and more Canadians living check to check. Yeah, what do we do with the numbers and how do we help ourselves? And, and our guest at 707 has a line where he says we can, you know, do things to protect ourselves in this storm, this financial storm. So what are they? Because I think we all admit 
that we start sweating. Like literally I will get sweaty when I start talking about my own money and what to do with it and where it should go and how to save. Because it, once you mention words like RRSP or capital gains to me, my eyes start to glaze over, Greg. I don't think you're alone in that, Loren. And uh, Kelly Keene, I think, is joining us later on in the week. And, and whenever we discuss uh, finances with her, that's the common denominator amongst the three of us. Is It's, it's nerve-wracking to talk about something that we should probably be talking about, if not our significant other, ourselves, on a more regular basis, just to kind of keep track of where things are at. Yeah, again, I'm getting so sick of all the uh, commercials like Quest Trade reminding me to be, you know, thoughtful of my finances. It's like, I'm watching this to turn my brain off. I don't want your stupid Quest Trade commercials. Mm-hmm. I don't want to worry about my money right what now. What happened to your Freedom 55 commercials? Those died, didn't <laughs> they? Slow death. Mm, yes, indeed. That's mm. because everyone's like, what? Unattainable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's coming up at 7.05. Now, A video of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau singing at a gathering in London, England on Saturday, two days away, two days out before the funeral from Queen Elizabeth II, has sparked debate on social media. Is it worth the discussion? So in the video, Trudeau can be seen singing the Queen's song Bohemian Rhapsody as Quebec musician Gregory Charles plays piano. Charles is a member of the Canadian delegation and walked in the Queen's funeral processional on Monday. The clip was shared on Twitter where it has garnered over 500,000 views. It is unclear who shot the video. Okay, so the Prime Minister's, one of the things that was going around is this was the night before the funeral or that it was actually from the Jubilee. So the Prime Minister's minister's office has cleared this all up yep they say after dinner on saturday so two days before the funeral the prime minister joined a small gathering with members of the canadian delegation who have come together to pay tribute to the life and service of her majesty as a result though as you can imagine some have accused trudeau of showing a lack of respect depending on which tabloid you might read in the uk and the tabloids are huge in the uk that he's been slammed and called embarrassing others have defended him there's been some critic criticism of course here in canada former ambassador to israel vivian berkovici she tweeted quote so many are saying trudeau's latest antics are no big deal wrong she says he is the canadian pm representing canada at a week of mourning for the queen this isn't about justin but he should grow up that's her words I will say I cringed while watching it, but not really because of the timing of it or where he's at. Just I found it cringeworthy to watch and, you know, just the dramatics of it all. But I don't sit in the camp who are saying this is embarrassing. And maybe that's in part because he's done more embarrassing things than this, if you're calling it embarrassing. It's a funeral. It's a solemn week, yes, but I don't know of any life celebration, Greg, Brett, that hasn't included a song or a dance or a, a drink or two or more. But is it because he's prime minister? Is it the timing? Do you do you really think it's it's not showing respect? I don't know. I I think it's mostly much ado about nothing. I would agree with that. I think that uh, while this week was this, the last ten days have been a period of mourning. It's also been a period of celebration. And and you basically took the words out of my mouth, Loren. Anytime there's a gathering to celebrate uh, lost. Uh, loved one, there is, it's not just a sad occasion. There are laughs and smiles and people are reminiscing. And and in this case, they're singing a song by Queen in honor of the Queen, presumably. And I don't know, I, I don't really think this is a big deal. But Mackling, I know you have something you want to get off your chest. No, I just, I don't even know why we're talking about this. I mean, I appreciate that the country is talking about it. Some people want to make this a big deal. Uh, this video is clearly taken, at least in my opinion, from a fair distance away from a bypasser or somebody who isn't really included in this group, at least as far as it appears from my point of view. Um, like, I know you're the prime minister all the time, but does that mean the prime minister never gets a- any opportunity to just kind of let loose and do something like this? I, I don't I don't even know why it's a topic of conversation. Like you said, Loren and others have said, there's lots of reasons to be embarrassed by uh, some of the actions of Justin Trudeau and, and some of the things he does and some of the decision he makes. Uh, this, this one feels like a, a waste of time to me. 
it's part of the issue though when anything gets caught on camera and then posted it's you you really have to ask the question is this genuine outrage social media outrage uh is it just the outrage of a few that are making the noise of what sounds like many but you you really the end of the day it's like the line of you can't get someone's taping you somewhere they're filming you somewhere and if you think that you're not going to be caught out and i don't even use that in this sense you're wrong. You will be. But then what do you do with that? And I just I, I have a, hard, a struggle nowadays to figure out what is real emotions versus just that instant. Let's go to the outrage button, Brett. The outrage button, the outrage button. Like it's, it, it should be instead of just the heart to like his tweet, there should be an outrage button because that's the in, that's too often the immediate reaction without, I don't think, thought sometimes. Yeah, I've, I've I've gotten into it with a couple of my friends who posted stuff on social media. I don't know. I think it in this particular case, he was uh, criticizing the media, blaming the media for something. And so I reached out to him. I said, hang on a second, man. Like, just think about this for a second. And then he admitted, okay, you're right. I only read the headline. It's like, okay, well, there you go. So you don't really have any idea what's happening here. It's just instant outrage. I must go to social media. It's just like how The Simpsons has been shown to be prognosticators. I think they, they had Donald Trump as president in some episode. And I remember, this goes back, I bet you, 20 years, a comic book guy in the early days of the, the internet where it was becoming more of a mass consumption kind of thing. Maybe it's 25 years old. I don't know. But he says, I must I must." Log on to the internet to express my rage with the world. Yeah, precisely. Uh, Justin Trudeau's in a t-shirt. Uh, no, I'm talking about it. I don't want to talk about it. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm out. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Michael Buble tickets are up for grabs. October 7th, Canada Life Centre. And it has to do with... Panic. And as it turns out, Cameron Poitras is here in the building instead of working from home for something that happened this morning. We'll get to him in a moment. It just kind of it worked out this way as it ties to the topic. So Saturday morning, I was on location at TransCanada Brewing Company on Keniston at Rothwell Road for their fifth anniversary party. And I was to be there from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. And typically when we do these on-location things, there are two of us. There is the on-air person, uh, whether that's me or Greg, you were at GNL Furniture on a couple of weeks back. That's, is that, where is that? That's up in the Inkster Industrial Park on uh, Hutchings Avenue or okay. Hutchings Street. Yeah, so usually there's an honor person and then there's a member of our promotions street team. And that person is responsible to come to the station and grab all the gear. So whether it's a tent, if we're set up outside, or a table or a podium. And the broadcast equipment, which is actually just an iPad. We just use an iPad, record our cut-ins and, and send them in. Um I woke up Saturday morning at 7. I was hoping to wake up by 6.30, but I opted to sleep for another half hour. Uh, but I still woke up at 7. Lots of time. No problem. And text messages from our street team are saying, Brett, I'm, I'm sick and uh, I couldn't find anybody to take this, this shift. Can, can you do your, your hits on your phone? And I, I immediately, I, first of all, I froze for two minutes because I thought, what am I going to do? So then I just scrambled and got down to the radio station, tried to find at the very least an iPad and a CJOB branded podium, trying to find those things in this building in a 30 floor high rise where the, apparently the equipment's not on our floor. I had to find it <laughs> somewhere in the basement. I was going up and down and up and down and calling our salespeople and calling promotions people. Where do I find this stuff? Okay, you got to get, you got, it's in this room in the basement, but you got to get the key. I'm like, oh my God, it's 8.30. I got to hit the road. So I finally found what I needed at the bare bones, got down there. Our sales team had to come in. Our promotions manager had to bring all the other gear. It was a mess. It worked out in the end. And as it turns out, client didn't even know anything was wrong. TransCanada, uh, they were get busy getting ready for a party. They didn't care. So uh, it was a mad panic that worked out, but I thought that uh, things were going to fall apart. So have you ever had plans disintegrate right in front of your eyes and you had almost no time to fix the problem? Um, or have you ever thought about just throwing your arms up and quitting? Poitras, you're in the building instead of at home. What happened to you? Well, uh, and this is, I don't want to make any sort of confusion here. This is 100% my fault for my insane procrastination. Uh, we get these little blips that tell us to change our passwords every now and then. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, 
<laughs> and, you know, they usually give us a month's notice and then two weeks and then five days. And I kept putting it off. Um, and then I tried to log in this morning into my computer at the house and I could not uh, log in. Um, and there was a way I can go around it. And I've had someone show me twice how to do it. And I, for the life of me, I, you think I'd write this stuff down? No chance. Um, so I was fumbling around for 20 minutes trying to do all these workarounds. Oh, I, I think I have to do this. I was getting absolutely nowhere. Nowhere. And I knew that if I came into the station, I could fix this in two seconds. Um, so I was wasting all this time. I was fumbling around for, for all this amount of time. I said, listen, I already could have drove into the station now and fixed this problem. <laughs> seconds are currency in this industry, and I was losing <laughs> seconds. Um, and so I said, I got I to gotta just go in and, and get it fixed. And I walked in, fixed it, and, and that was it. And I got my sports and stuff like that in. But uh, Oh, you got your password changed? <laughs> yeah, I did in three seconds here. Oh, you'll yeah. have to show me how to do that. I yeah. didn't realize there was that easy of a yeah. fix. Okay, I'll, I'll bug you during the news. But... Uh, <laughs> Good to see you. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad you're procrastinating. I'm glad you procrastinated because we miss you, buddy. Yeah. Jeff Braun still working at home. What about you? Oh, for me, it was about 20 years ago, and some friends. And this is, you know, this is all problem here is based on their bad judgment to begin with. They uh, asked me to be the videographer at their wedding, and I said okay, even though I'd never done that before. But they gave me a video camera. I figured out how to work it. I got to the church early on the day of the wedding. I set up shop uh, right up front, so I, I got my shot all planned. I was like, ooh, this is the perfect spot to get the wedding ceremony in, and the wedding's about to start, and I was thrilled with myself for being prepared and ready to go, and as soon as the organ music started, I realized, oh, I guess I need to get shots of people coming down the aisle, and that's when I realized the head of the tripod was locked, and I didn't know how to make it swivel. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> So I just picked the whole thing up and just lurched it to the left, and the bride started walking, and I bunka 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 lurched it all the way through until she was up front, and so that sort of worked, although it must look terrible. And then later on at the uh, reception, uh, one of the groomsmen was giving a very uh, passionate speech, and he was getting choked up, and people were crying, and the battery died on the camera. And <laughs> I did have a spare battery, but I was also <laughs> right up front and sort of like the only person standing. And if I would have started screwing around with the battery and the camera, people would have like noticed the commotion. So I just pretended like everything was fine until he wrapped up about 10 minutes later. And I thought, <laughs> man, that was a nice speech. Too bad nobody will ever see it. <laughs> <laughs> the end of the night, gave him the tape, haven't asked, haven't heard about it. So. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Loren, what about you? Uh, I think, you know, in this industry, there's so many times behind the scenes that it's a full, like a full panic heart racing before you go on air. So just last week, was it just last week, two weeks ago, I did the Stars Air Ambulance fundraiser and we started off out of the base on Hangar Road. And I said to you guys, I'll join you with the guest at 637. I got there at like 6 a.m. because there's a bit of breakfast beforehand and I had to meet some people. And I leave the car running because I have my road kit in there so I can do that hit, Right. And I'm like, okay, well, should I shut the car off? What should I do? Should I just have it all ready to go when I run back here? And I get inside. I meet the guy. Everyone starts having breakfast. There's a couple speeches. I say, okay, hang on. Like, Chris, we got to run out. The pilot going to do this interview right now. And then I'm like, does somebody have my keys? Who has my keys? Because my car is, is, is the equipment's in the car. And I just say, never mind. Let's just run outside. We'll see what's going on. I'll get Forchie on the phone. We'll do this interview by the phone. So I have the phone all dialed up. Forchie hears me on the phone. And I said, we can go up to the car and sit in that if it's quieter. Get out there. And I forgot that I had left the car running like for an hour to keep the equipment going and everything was all set up and I grabbed the tie line and Forty, you got me. Yeah, yeah, you're there, you're there. <laughs> but you're in a full panic, right? Like for the whole three minutes beforehand, you're racing, you're running, and then you have to do this, hey guys, like all casual, like nothing's wrong. Like life is fine. It's not a big deal. Yes. Just full <laughs> huffing and puffing. And I think I can I can't even count the number of times that I have raced to a live hit at the last possible second. Just things imploding around you. And it somehow it happens. And a reminder to turn your lights on on the highway. It looks like the, some of the, the fog is starting to dissipate. It was kind of uh, soupy not 10 minutes ago, but it looks like it's starting to clear up a little bit outside our window at uh, 201 Portage. And um, also just a heads up, I wanted to let you know, 
that uh, even though the long-term forecast doesn't, I mean, it doesn't look bad, but it, there's nothing like, you know, super hot. But that I suspect that might change because I got the notice yesterday <laughs> from my apartment building that they're turning off the air conditioning tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And whenever they turn off the air conditioning, it suddenly the forecast changes and it gets really hot. Cue the heat wave for next week. That's not an official forecast. That's just a pseudo prediction. Yeah, because every they've turned. I've been there now three, three years, and every fall they turn it off too soon, and then it gets really hot, and then I spend a week melting. I actually turned on the air conditioning yesterday. I couldn't believe twenty three. I read the forecast at least four times yesterday. I don't remember saying that it was going to get that warm yesterday. Maybe I did. Uh, in reading the forecast, but I was really surprised. It, it was uh, almost like a summer day yesterday. Yeah, it turned out to be uh, really hot. nice in the end. Yeah. yeah, It was a good day. So um, we are trying to connect with our guest on uh, working on Canadians living from check to check um, because there's a new report out this morning that is only confirming, really, what many Canadians already know, and we have made contact with our guest. And, uh, Loren, it's getting increasingly difficult to make ends meet. Yeah, I think we all know that. We're feeling that. But now there's this new survey by the National Payroll Institute that's showing the number of people living paycheck to paycheck is up 26%. We know inflation is a big part of the problem. And in this survey that they've done, they've taken a look with uh, how people are feeling, and 18% are actually using debt like using their debt to pay for food, to pay for housing this year. And I think it's safe to say our financial habits are clearly getting worse. And so we're joined now by Peter Zanatakis, president of the National Payroll Institute. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. I said it earlier, I think many of us know this. We know that things are getting worse, but to know that there's a huge chunk, a big group now living paycheck to paycheck compared to last year, that really stood out for me. Yeah, you know, the um, the annual survey of working Canadians reveals that uh, uh, Canadians are experiencing the first signs of a major financial stress storm that appears to be gaining in intensity. Uh, Canadians are typically grouped into either comfortable, coping, or stressed from a financial wellness perspective. And 10% fewer working Canadians are financially comfortable last year, and, that, and they've moved into just coping or stressed. And uh, this migration downwards is a real reversal of fortune from the past two years of the pandemic uh, when those who who remained employed actually saw their financial position actually improve. It it is uh, a dichotomy uh, to a great extent from what we were seeing just a year ago, in particular in the real estate realm, Peter. Uh, That has made a a gigantic shift. And then uh, just this morning, we got uh, a report from Dalhousie University, our friend, uh, the food professor, Sylvain Charlebois, and their report says that 33.7% of their uh, individuals that they surveyed were using loyalty program points to help pay for their groceries. 32% saying they're reading the week. At 85% is really um, the rates of inflation, and that's really fueling financial anxiety. Um, and, and, and really, when you think about it, for many Canadians, these levels of interest rates and inflation is very unfamiliar territory. We've been used to a, a really low uh, interest rate regime and um, inflation being kept in, in check. So it, it is really new territory for them. So I'm just curious then, just with Brett's question, if it's, is it, does it mean it's up 26%? Like some numbers last year had about 50% of Canadians living paycheck to paycheck. Are we talking now it's more like 75% or do we have that overall understanding from the survey, Peter? No, the, the survey really indicated that about 25% of Canadians, are, working Canadians, are working, are living paycheck to paycheck. But that was up from 20% last year. So that's about a 20, 26% uh, increase. Um, the, the numbers in the past two years were much, much better as there were forced savings and, um, you know, people weren't spending as much because of the pandemic. Uh, they weren't traveling um, and they weren't commuting. And so I think that actually really improved their financial situation in the past two years of the pandemic. But really, things have um, really reversed significantly um, this year compared to those uh, to those two years. Yeah, there were a couple of years there where there were expenses that were a normal part of life for years leading up to the pandemic, Peter. They went away, and now not only have those expenses come back, but those expensive expenses may be even more expensive than they were pre-pandemic. 
Uh, that's correct. And, you know, what's even more worrisome is that the gap between those who are financially coping and those who are financially. Oh, and we just lost him. Uh, he, he, that line just said, decided to say goodbye. And I guess that's OK, because we're out of time anyway. So we say thanks to Peter Zanatakis, president of the National Payroll Institute. And if you'd like to learn more about this, then just uh, shoot us a text at 204-780-6868. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, have you ever had a time where you experienced panic, where your plans blew up right in your face and you had no time to figure it out, or almost no time to figure it out? We're giving away Michael Buble tickets based on your stories, but Greg Mackling, what was your story? Well, years ago, back in Vernon, my brother owned uh, part of two restaurants, and anyway, without getting muddied in the details, we, we had about a week and a half to renovate uh, the one space that had been taken over. And then on a Saturday night, we closed at 10.30, only to open at 5 o'clock the next night on Sunday in a different location. Fortunately, it was just about a block and a half around the corner. We had trucks all lined up. We had to move tables, chairs, some restaurant equipment. We had painting left to be done. And literally, as the front door... My best Rob Lowe in Parks and Rec. Literally, as we were uh, opening the front door, the last licks of paint were going on a back wall as we opened this restaurant that we managed to move overnight from one location mm. to another. And I don't think any of the any of the customers would have had any idea the amount of work, the amount of stress that had taken place for the previous uh, 18, 19 hours. It was insane. We did not sleep and then had to serve the restaurant until 10 o'clock Sunday night. Wow. It was crazy. I bet you there's a lot of small businesses that can relate to this story, Greg, or, or big businesses. You have a big day set up for a grand opening and before the ribbons even cut, you still got people in the back stacking, oh, stocking shelves yes. or hanging up clothes or, you know, installing the, the, the stove to cook the meal with. Like it, it can get tight. Yeah. You got to pick a date and you've got to go for it. And you think you've got a lot of time. And it's amazing what you can get done in three or four hours when you imagine that there's no chance this is happening. You just look at each other. You go, uh, we have no choice. We can't afford to be closed tonight. It's ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars worth of revenue. We got to go. And sometimes that's, uh, you know, I think I've heard stress can can be the, the the main galvanizing thing to spring one into action when you simply have no choice to stop and worry about it. You just got to get her done. Text us your story at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. The deadline looms. I, you know, I like to go right to the deadline. <laughs> that's right. It means breakfast with the Bombers, and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are a few days into their second last bye of the season. The next one takes place in between what is back-to-back games for the Blue Bombers with the BC Lions to close out the regular season. So Saturday's disappointing 48-31 loss to Hamilton. It had some fans asking the question, you heard this throughout the night Saturday, how did that happen? Coach O'Shea, well... (laughs) I guess he's saying he kind of warned us. You said the Hamilton Tiger Cats are a good football team. We said they're three and nine. You said they're a good football team. We have to believe you when you tell us stuff like this, <laughs> don't we? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> you don't have to, really, but they are a good football team. It sounds like it'll make my life easier if I, if I do. Uh, having had time to uh, look back at it, uh, what, what's your impression of the game in Hamilton? Uh, you know, they put it on us. That's what I said after the game. Um, you know, they scored 24 points in the second quarter. It wasn't going to take some sort of miraculous intervention to to win that football game. We'd been in a position before, like with with a group of veterans, we've been behind in games. The score doesn't really matter. I mean, at whatever, nine and a half minutes left in the fourth, we're only down 10 points, yep. which is not insurmountable by any stretch. I mean, that's a normal CFL game, right? <laughs> Derek Taylor, Mike O'Shea last night on the CJOB Coaches Show. The Bombers sit at 12-2 and two as they get back to work next week for a home game on the 30th versus Saskatchewan. Here is listener Don asking a question on behalf of himself, and I imagine a few thousand Blue Bomber fans. My, my question was short and sweet, but it was sad to watch Hamilton eat your guy's lunch on Saturday but uh, my question is, when, it, uh, when the score looked quite out of hand uh, 
for a win for the bombers. Why would you not think of pulling Calaris out and putting in one of your other quarterbacks just for three or four reps just to see if he could change the uh, mood of the game type of thing? I'll hang up and listen for your reply. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Don. Uh, I think that we had a series start with around three, three minutes to go. And um, we're down 17 maybe at that point, which is not insurmountable. You know, we, we were down 13, I think, to Montreal with a minute and a half to go. We got touchdown, onside kick, touchdown to win a game. So <laughs> to July 27th, 2017, IG Field, as the coach said, the Blue Bombers are indeed trailing by 13 points. Nichols, shotgun. Deep into the end zone again. Lankford, touchdown, Blue Bombers with 44 seconds left. That makes it 40-34, Montreal. And here's the kick, and it's a good one by Medlock. Bombers have a shot. I think they got it. They got it. Their 52-yard line. Yes, they do. Wow. The ball was caught by the Bombers. Let's see if they can get it in. They'll give it to Andrew Harris. You got to know that. Nichols, Harris, left side, fights in. Did he get in? Touchdown, Blue Bombers. Final play of the game. And they have won it. 41 to 40. Unbelievable. There's certainly still hope. Um, and I'm not saying switching the quarterback out would would change that. And I also, but I also don't think that switching the quarterback is going to give you the spark that's going to allow you to operate fast and get to 17. So Zach still gives you the absolute best chance because he's the best quarterback in the league, as we think. Um, he still gives you the best chance to operate offensively to allow yourself to try and get 17 in three and a bit minutes or whatever the last drive started at, or second last drive started at. You know, in fact, I think he's the only one in terms of quarterback play that gives you that opportunity. So I, it's really hard to say, uncle, we don't have an opportunity because we've seen it too many times in the CFL that it's never really over. And, and that's just the way I believe now. Before I continue, can we go back and play the start of that clip for that harp sound again? Because that was magical. Yes. It really did take me back. I like it. Okay, so the the, the goal here is championship teams find ways to win games. Uh, I guess it's clear from the comments there that Coach O'Shea envisioned a path to victory despite the odds. I just like the harp sound. That's what I'm here for, Greg. Thank you for that. Yeah, you're very welcome. I was uh, trying to find a, a Wayne and Garth from Wayne's World, but uh, couldn't find one that uh, was worthy in terms of audio quality. So I went with that instead. And then the, if it was like an old school TV show, the the picture would get all wavy. Like oh, That's right. Yeah. Ooh, shaking up, going back in time, people. If you want to hear the entire Coach's Show, by the way, check out the Blue Bomber podcast wherever you find your favorite podcast. And I just needed to ask you this, Mackling, because uh, one of my, my friends – Lives in Winnipeg, but is from Ontario. Big Hamilton Tiger Cats fan. And she posted on her Instagram story when she was at the game with just the words that said, Oski Wee Wee. Oh, my. And I thought, have you had a lot to to drink? Like, what what language is this? But I looked it up, and I guess this is like a, a near 100-year-old cheer? Yeah. That is their, that's their, their chant. That's their thing. They've been doing it. Uh, when were they established? Uh, 1869, I think, the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And I, I, it would appear, based on the language used, they, they wrote that song very shortly thereafter. It looks like they... Uh Okay, it looks like there were two teams in Hamilton. The, yes, the Tigers. The Tigers and the Wildcats. That's and they right. merged in 1950 to become the Hamilton Tiger Cats. But the cheer, the original cheer was uh, Oski Wawa, Whiskey Wee Wee, Holy Mackinac. Holy Tigers Mackinac. eat them raw. Wow. And now it's Oski Wee Wee, Oski Wawa, Holy Mackinac, Tigers eat them raw. 
What is happening? What, the, what is Hamilton? the Oski, though? Is the Oski something? <laughs> I don't, don't question Oski it. a fish? Just embrace it. Embrace the, the chant. They have something to hang their hats on in Hamilton. <laughs> Remember, the, the Blue Bombers have won a majority of their great cups against Hamilton Tiger Cats, and and uh, that's just the way it is. It's funny. Uh, we did that uh, book launch with Ken Dryden a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago, and so Ken Dryden's dad is actually born uh, in Domain, Manitoba. He's from Domain, Manitoba, moved to Hamilton and remained a Blue Bomber fan for his entire life. It was Winnipeg first, Hamilton second. Can you imagine living in Hamilton and the Bombers and the and the Tiger Cats played in consecutive Grey Cups five years in a row, 58, 59, 60, 61, 62. And there's Mr. Dryden living in Hamilton cheering for the Blue Bombers. Yikes. <laughs> asking you about your panic stories at 204-780-6868, a situation where, you know, you just watched as something fell apart in front of your eyes and you had little to no time to deal with it, to scramble, to find a plan B. And uh, one of our listeners pointing to, uh, I guess this was a vacation plan in 2013, they sent a picture of what appears to be a cow uh, completely buried in snow, and there were massive storms that rolled through South Dakota in October of 2013, and I guess they were supposed to go to vacation to that region and had to make a last-second shift because otherwise uh, vacation go boom, and had they gone early, they'd been stuck in the awful weather, Mackling. <laughs> There's nothing worse. Uh, I didn't know I've told this story, and I'm not going to tell it again, but the, the, the time that we tried to get to Panorama, B.C., for one day of skiing and, and simply couldn't make it there because of the weather between here and there and uh, vehicle problems. We made the best of a road trip that ultimately ended in Banff, and, and we made a U-turn to get back. We didn't make it to our ultimate destination, but sometimes you can make the best of the worst. And that was a story from Kevin. We'll pick a winner just after 9.15. Our question of the day, by the way, at cjob.com, brought to you by Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. The number of Canadians living paycheck to paycheck continues to rise. Are you living check to check? And your options are yes, sometimes, not quite, but almost, and no, cast your vote at cjob.com. Just looking at the results here, we've got 39% no, 30% yes, 22% not quite but almost, and 9% sometimes. And uh, Greg, you sort of pointed this earlier uh, new report that sort of ties in with what we're talking about this morning from the food professor, Sylvain Charlebois, as it pertains to groceries. Yeah, food inflation has impacted the lives of most Canadians in recent months. Canada's food inflation rate has been around 10% since May of this year. Canadians have been trying to cope with higher food and menu prices in many ways. And the Agri-Food Analytics Lab, in partnership with Cattle, investigated what Canadian consumers are doing to deal with higher food prices in the past year. And they released the results of that study earlier this morning. And right at the top of things, uh, Loren, is something that I actually never do. Yeah, so 33.7% say the way that they're offsetting higher food costs. 33% say they're using more loyalty program points to pay for groceries. So there's different points at at the different stores. I know some people that might use their PC points and have a credit card that then helps them redeem money, say at Superstore or No Thrills. I, for years, have used the points cards that help get me flights, you know, your airplane points or your air miles. But I honestly haven't redeemed any of those points in three years. And so I was actually just going down the road of trying to see who could give us some advice on the best reward card systems to use, depending on where you're at in life, because food is a big one for me right now. I was at the grocery store the other day. I watched somebody pull out a flyer in two different aisles that I was walking down. And both times I stopped and said, what are you looking for? Because I didn't have the flyer on me. And I was curious what the deal was, because you have to pay more attention to that now. I have completely walked away from cooking some things because it just doesn't make sense, bottom line, to pay that amount for some of those food items anymore. What was the item they were looking for? One was uh, pork. There was a deal on pork. And the other thing was a granola bars, like, you know, where they cut the cost by 20 cents if you buy four packs or something like that. It wasn't a great deal, okay. but it was a deal. And if that's something that you say you eat a lot of in your house, then it makes sense to you to 
buy it. But I specifically can't get over the price of chicken. I said this like, I think three days in a row now. Roll, I love doing just a roast chicken or a beer butt chicken. And I can't get over the cost of those. And you can still buy them cooked for say 10, 11 bucks in the grocery store. But if you want to buy them uncooked, they could be 14, 15, $17, depending on where you're looking, which is, you know, you were getting them for nine to $11 just a year ago. So it just some those little things, they just add up. That's what uh, one of my boys likes for lunch is those, uh, the cooked chicken, yeah. the, the rotisserie chicken from Safeway or from Sobeys and uh, some pan buns. And so we buy like a couple of those a week, but the price of those over the last couple sure. of years have gone from about seven ninety nine or eight ninety nine. Now I think they're ten forty nine or maybe ten ninety nine. And so a couple of bucks here and there doesn't sound like a lot, but when you do it on the percentage, it's a tremendous increase. And then if everything or a majority of the stuff is going up by a similar amount, all of a sudden, if you're spending, say, $1,000 a month on groceries and things go up 15 20%, where are you finding an extra couple hundred dollars and you, every single month? And you talked about the boys eating you out of house and home. They're, how old are they? There's 16. 16, okay. So I'm thinking one of those chickens, that, uh, those, that they, those pre-made chickens, probably feeds me two meals, at least three. Am I incorrect in assuming your boys can probably pound through one of those in one sitting? Pretty much if they wanted to. Last night, I made five chicken breasts for supper, pasta, peppers, uh, bread. Uh, we had one other thing. And, and all that was left this morning when I went in the fridge was basically <laughs> half a chicken breast. <laughs> Okay. Because they came back some at some point for second supper or second third supper. supper, correct. And it's a fact of life. This is this is the way kids are eating. My kids are active. One of the boys is trying. Dad, I got to have thirty five hundred calories today. I'm trying to put on some weight, <laughs> skin and bones. It's like, oh my gosh. Like, what do you do? How do you say no when your kids want to eat? And I think back to when I was growing up, and I know how hard it was for my mom and dad. You know, I can remember having tomato soup for supper. I'm gonna sound like a, you know, my grandpa here, but I do. I remember uh, my mom struggling to put food on the table when we were younger, and the, the answer and 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 the look on her face when she had mm-hmm. to say. There's nothing else. This is what you this get. This is all there is until Friday, and it's Monday. I remember my grandparents bringing food, groceries to our house, because we just didn't have. And and there are lots of people in at, at that point right now, and lots of those people, uh, dare I say, are not used to being in that situation. I'm getting told I'm not a very good shopper right now, and I've missed out on some good chicken deals, and so I need to maybe shop around, which is which is another thing I have changed, though, that um, I do shop around more. You know, I might have made two stops before, so, and now I might do three or four if I know there's going to be deals at a certain place, and then I have to wonder, is all my driving around you know, in my car at higher gas prices really saving me much more in terms of cost? But yeah... Um, I'll I'll take a look. Claudio's saying I need to go to Freshco. I think that's a and that's a, also a good point as well. How much uh, are you? You know, what's what's worth more to you the 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 money that you might save or is it your time? When I used to drive to work, I would make multiple stops along the way. Like I might stop at Safeway for one thing and then stop at Superstore for another because I knew that whatever I needed to buy at Superstore would be way more expensive at Safeway. And then there are other things that that are cheaper at another at a different store. Or when I lived, hmm. or when I was down the like, I would sometimes walk down to the food fair. I know that I could get deals on certain things, so I was a bit more. Um, particular on where I would buy specific items, but now because I live right next to Safeway, I pretty much just go there exclusively because well, I can walk there. And then, and then, based on that access, you might be paying more, right? Just because it is the the bigger store, and so it's where more people walk to. But is that where you're going to get your best deals? And then I'd love to know people's tricks in terms of apps because one of our listeners saying download the program Flip Flip. Yeah, or maybe it's just called Flip. Do you know this? I'm a, that shows I, I think, you everything that's on sale. Yeah, yeah. I don't have it. I've not, I, I think it, I think it may have. Ooh, I think it may have come preloaded on a phone before, and it was one of those things where I like de- I deleted it. I'm like I'm mm. not. Gonna, <laughs> I hate when the the phone companies preload your phone with a bunch of stuff. But that's a different uh, different conversation. Thomas, say <laughs> Costco the rotisserie chicken is still seven ninety nine. Tom. Do you think I'm walking into Costco buying just a rotisserie chicken? Why not? I've been to Costco it's just to have doable. a hot dog That's, and poutine. Yeah, well, not good doable. for you. It just, you know, you inevitably buy, end up buying. And 
that's restraint and that's going in with a plan. I get that. And so uh, maybe that's the conversation over the next few days is how do you how do you go into that different mode of consumer uh, habits? Because uh, what's, I was talking to somebody yesterday who went to Costco and uh, he says to me, he goes, Mackling, never go to Costco hungry. I bought stuff I didn't need, didn't want, didn't <laughs> want anywhere near my house. Now it's in my pantry and I'll be forced to eat it. And so it's all, a lot of it is a man, mindset stuff. It's, it's psychology with yourself. It's a great point. When they, when you're hungry, it's not a good time to go to the grocery store. Although sometimes I do, I will, I'll think, oh shoot, I gotta, I want to eat this, but I have to go get it. And then I, that, that, I, I've sort of maintained. I think you, in early in the pandemic, Greg, you talked about it. Like you gotta go in on, like you're on a mission. Yes. Yeah. Go in, get what you need, and uh, get make out. Make a list and get out. And that's what I do. Like I don't even, if it's, if I'm not there to buy it, I don't even see it. I know exactly where I need to go in the store to get the five or because I never buy more than five or six things at a time. I'm hiring you to go to Costco <laughs> me for me. Me too. <laughs> I am too. Gosh, then I won't have like 19 different packs of batteries. I've got toothbrushes for the whole street if they want them. <laughs> hey, it's handy to have lots of batteries. Because you don't want to be that person who goes to the drawer and you're like, ah, I don't have any batteries. What am I going to do now? I'm just going to sit in silence and have to stand. I got to stand up to turn on my television. Come on. Oh, the humanity. 847 with Macklin McGarry McNabb. We're going to have much more through the day on the financial stuff that we've been talking about. And you can weigh in at 204-780-6868. And again, cast your vote at cjob.com on our question of the day. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, Michael Bublé tickets on display on up for grabs in our at October 7th Canada Life Centre. We're asking you about last-minute panic, last-minute scramble, a time that you were faced with panic and had to act now or be swept away. What does Lenore have to say, Mackling? My story is bittersweet. I live in Gimli. I opened my flower shop December 15th, 2003. I had well over $1,000 worth of fresh flowers coming in and still had my entire shop to set up get giftware out and make everything presentable and appealing for my big opening day. Well, my dad passed away on December 12th. I had no choice but to forge ahead as fresh fresh flowers don't have a shelf life like a lot of product. My sister came in and helped me set up the showroom and needless to say, the very first floor arrangement that ever came out of my shop was for my dad's funeral. Strangely enough, my shop is called Heaven Sent, a name that I chose in honor of my mother who had passed away the year before. Thank you, Lenore. Oh, boy. Lenore, thank you for that. Um, tough to pick a winner today, Loren. Uh, we're having a tough time even picking our runners-up. Who are you going to go with for a runner-up? I don't know because I can relate to both these stories, but I think I'm going to go with Peter just for the drama. Says when he got his driver's license, I looked for any excuse to go to a drive. My parents needed something picked up from across town at a friend's house, so I hopped in the big station wagon and drove over. Pulled into the driveway, walked to the door, knocked on the door. Friend popped out with the bag. I was chatting with her when I looked over my shoulder and saw the station wagon slowly rolling down the driveway. Mm. Evidently, I had not put it in park. I looked back at my friend and said, gotta go, and then ran back to the car as it went between two large brick bollards across the street and into the ditch, just missing the car that drove by. Talk about pure Panic. You don't yeah. know anything about a story like that, Lorraine. That's why I said I, I struggled, Peter, because that has happened to me. Mine went into the ref room of the Minidosa Arena. So, <laughs> um, uh, Angela is our winner. Another, and this is another funeral story. This was a tough pick today. Uh, Angela says, on the day of my father's funeral, we were just about to go into the church for mass. The funeral director came up to me and I asked him when the food would be arriving. He looked at me like he saw a ghost, and I said to him, you were going to take care of the food. Calmly, I grabbed his hands to comfort him as he looked like he was about to pass out and said, no, we even gave you the name of the caterer. And I continued to calm him and said, it's okay, we'll figure it out, we'll take care of it. With hundreds of people standing outside, I calmly walked briskly to my uncle and gave him the horrible news in his ear. He ripped out his credit cards and we sent the woman's auxiliary to food fair, cantors, and Costco. They had an hour and 15 minutes to have that food picked up and delivered and set out. We called cantors and asked for a rush social package and they pulled through for us. And wow. by the time the mass was completed, we walked into the basement to a fully catered lunch. Can you imagine, you're there to greet 
grieve your father and you're having to calm down the funeral director. Isn't that like a fundamental job requirement for a funeral director? Top of the list, I suspect. (laughs) Qualifications. Calm. Be calm and cool (laughs) under pressure. Panic. Hit the panic button as soon as possible. That's number one on the resume. Angela, you're going to Michael Buble. A follow-up note here, our winning text for the Michael Buble tickets came from uh, Angela, who, when at her father's funeral, asked the funeral director, where's the food? And the funeral director said, well, you said you were going to take care of it. And Angela says, no, and here's the name of the caterer that we gave you, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, Angela and her family had to scramble to get some food. Well, we have a retort from a funeral director, Greg. There is nothing like the terror of being told something has not been completed that you know for certainty a family said they were going to look after all funeral directors have dreams, nightmares about these scenarios. So I guess uh, maybe also we mentioned uh, we would think being calm would come with a job, but I guess being ready for a plan B at any moment, Loren, is uh, would be a good uh, trait to have as well. Well, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who said they were going to do what when the clock is ticking, right? You can get into the game later of blaming, but you just got to say, well, figure that out later. Now what are we going to do? And we the have plan B, man. We have people to feed. What's the plan B? Yeah. All right. Thank you for that feedback. We appreciate it. And now, over the next month, I suspect we're going to bring you a number of interviews with some amazing authors because Thin Air is back. The Winnipeg International Hybrid Writers Festival. That might be the only hybrid you can get your hands on right now. The festival's director is Charlene Deal. Good morning, Charlene. Good morning. That's a good point. I don't have a hybrid. I mean, I do have a hybrid. <laughs> <laughs> They're tough to come by right now, but the, let's uh, <laughs> they are tough to come by. <laughs> so this uh, word hybrid uh, because you've got it highlighted on your website thinairfestival.ca. What's happening this year? That's So yeah, hybrid. we we this is um this is kind of our as we you know emerge from the plague, uh we're cautiously uh, doing more in-person stuff. Um, and I do actually know lots of people who've been sick over the summer. You probably do, too. So we haven't really wanted to presume hugely. Plus, we kind of invented this really interesting option for virtual programming when the pandemic started, which is to say we ask all of these fantastic writers that we book for the festival to provide us with video content. So we have this our festival site, which opens today at noon, is crammed with really cool little videos from writers from all over the country and a few uh, international writers as well. So we've got some in-person events. We've got some real-time online events, but we've also got this whole destination website full of really interesting, creative content. So that's what hybrid means uh, for us as a festival. Virtual became the name of the game for so many years now here. And as well, there was lots of people who are at home. And I know, I've heard in my circles in different stages of life, different people that have said, if I had time, I'd write a book. And so I'm curious, did we see more writers emerge out of the pandemic in any fashion? Not because we necessarily had more time. You just had fewer places to go. I, I wonder if that's, that influenced that's things. That's so interesting. Uh, there certainly has been, like, there's a lot of writing happening. <laughs> and yeah. I, think, I think you're right. Um, and I think it's two things. It's, you know, we didn't have as many things to do or places to go. But also, like, the pandemic has really been such a heavy task for each of us individually as well as for all of us you know kind of organizationally to manage and i think that when there's a when there's very hard stuff that you carry on the inside of you you have to find some ways to you know ex- express to get it out so some people were writing yeah or drawing painting making bread you know learning new skills knitting uh, so, yeah, writing definitely is one of those things, too, because uh, it's, it's kind of, you know, we experienced one of those once-in-a-lifetime experiences, but we all had it. <laughs> so, so it's uh, going to take some time to make sense of it, but I think a lot of people are doing that through writing, for sure. I often uh, joke that I am an uncultured lout, so I have a dumb, here's a dumb question from an uncultured <laughs> lout. Why is it called Thin Air? Well, okay, Lout. Um, I appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> uh, I actually don't. Uh, I don't believe in such a thing. So there it is, uh, or uncultured for that matter, because you know we all get through our days, right? We all share language and we share a laugh and all that. Um, 
Why is it called Thin Air? Well, that was a kind of an accidental titling way back uh, 20 years ago. And it has, to, it, it has a bunch of kind of highfalutin literary references. But let me just give you um, one, which is not too highfalutin, which is there's a really fantastic poem by a beat poet named Lawrence Ferlinghetti about, about um, writing a poem that a poet is like a... Uh, like an aerial walker, a tightrope walker, you know, and all the people are looking up at this person wondering if they're going to fall. And I thought that was actually for my first festival. That's what I felt like. Like, Mm -hmm. wow, I'm doing a high wire act here and I don't really know what I'm doing. (laughs) So that was the, that was the first, you know, that was kind of the seed for me, but also thinking about, you know, how the interesting thing about, about writing and about performing writing for when writers come to share their work, they're basically creating these whole worlds that are not like literal or tactile, like not like a painting. It really is in this kind of shared imagination space. And that is, you know, that is kind of magic. That is kind of what happens in the air between you and me and, uh, and the, the, the extraordinary pictures that we invent as we are listening to someone uh, share a story with us or take us into a place we don't know or offer us information that we hadn't had before. Charlene Deal is the director of the Winnipeg International Hybrid Writers Festival. And Charlene, it's interesting you say that because even in history, shared history, shared experience, you know, you might have uh, lived something with a partner a sibling or a friend and you remember it and interpret that that experience one way they experience and live it another and and you know stock it away in the memory bank a different way and the whole idea of getting uh, a personal with an author and their history and their story and why they might be telling a story whether it's fiction or non-fiction I think really helps us uh, see the lens through which they've created this story Oh, I could not agree more. Even even if you're encountering someone whose worldview is so different from yours or value system is, you know, wildly divergent from yours, if you can just pause your own kind of judgment enough to just say, I'm just going to just going to be quiet here and see what you're showing me, and then then there's a place of connection and then you can go from there even if you do diverge wildly or disagree deeply, you understand more fully because really you're absolutely right we are all walking through this you know this crazy thing this world we have somehow made together we're all walking through it together but we do have very individual experiences and i think that's maybe why you know even when the pandemic hit and it was like how are we supposed to do a festival when we can't gather the thing is we we stubbornly continue to gather in some way or shape or form we find ways to connect and you guys do it every day, right, by reaching into people's homes or cars <laughs> just just through words in the air. It it is a I think it's a very deep human need and it's how we share our joy, it's how we share our terror, it's how we you know, share our sadness, um, our confusion, you know, to know that someone's walking alongside you. So I'm gotta say that being able to come back to at least do some stuff in person is really a happy place for us because we get to be like right shoulder to shoulder with people that care about books and ideas and having some laughs and sharing some language. It's an, it's an amazing time. There are 56 writers joining in this year's festival. I, I'm curious of those writers, do we have a, a sense of what sort of genre is emerging as top? I'm, I'm wondering if pandemic shifted things and I was thinking even myself, I'm a big reader and during the pandemic, I started watching TV and only comedy because I didn't want to see anything too serious at the end of the day. But for some reason that. with my novels, I still had no issue with it being a deep, sometimes dark, very gritty drama. And so it, it was fascinating to me how my brain works in those ways. That, What's- that is really interesting. I uh, This kind of connects with something else I've thought about books for my whole life, which is sometimes the book that we need, you know, we kind of we kind of find them as readers, mm-hmm. you know, so maybe some part of you just needed something that was heavy enough that you could, uh, it, it sort of reflected some part of the hard work of, of making it through like really an extremely difficult time. So there's a, a way in which, you know, books are almost like 
medicine. You know, they're kind of like I, you find the voices that are going to give you a place to mm-hmm. park yourself for a little bit or learn something that you didn't know before. Um, yes, we are seeing quite a bit of work that's um, directly kind of reflecting on the, you know, the challenges that the pandemic offered to us. I'm seeing that. I'm also seeing quite a lot of books in, in pretty much every genre that are talking very directly to climate uh, change, climate emergency. Um, I always think that writers, in a way, are kind of like the, you know, the canaries in the coal mine. They're ahead of us a little bit, and they come flying back to give us the news. And so I'm always interested in what are the emerging kind of thematic um, topics that seem to show up across a whole range of books because we have the great fortune of reading like all sorts of new books from all sorts of publishers all the way across the country and and I I do see that like in the in the collective imagination right now is a huge concern about climate and a lot of a lot of books that are related to um finding a way to feel at home um you know, in in a in a social context that's changing a lot, kind of trying to find your bearings. There's a lot of writers that are tackling that too, and interestingly enough, quite a lot of books that are are kind of reconstructing moments in history in new ways. Which kind of goes back to that comment earlier about how you remember a thing in a certain way, and your sibling might remember it in quite another way. We also have that those experiences culturally and sometimes it is time to go back and look at you know a time in history or an event that has been framed in a certain way and when you shift the frame a little bit the story is quite different so there's quite a lot of that kind of reconsidering happening now amongst uh, writers in Canada especially well, you can learn more at thinairfestival.ca. The festival, September 20th to October 18th. It's Thin Air, the Winnipeg International Hybrid Writers Festival. And Charlene Deal is the festival's director. Charlene, thank you very much. This has been a pleasure. It's been great to talk to you. Thanks for your interest.